Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. It is Friday, the 18th of October. It's a good and glorious day. I want you to remember that no matter what the weather is, no matter what uh, is happening in life, no matter the circumstances surrounding you, as things change, God is yet God and steadfast and unchanging, immovable, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, totally reliable and there for you. And so let's not forget that as we face whatever it is that we're facing today. And so if you share that uh, conviction, if you are a person of religious faith, particularly of the Christian faith, uh, then here's, a, here's an interesting headline that, um, that I'm reading this morning from Pew Research. The share of Americans with no religious affiliation uh, continues to rise. In fact, it is rising significantly uh, in tandem Pew tells us, with a sharp drop in the percentage of, uh, of our American neighbors who identify as Christians. And so you might want to check out this new Pew Research. We'll probably continue to talk about this in the coming days and weeks. It's based on a telephone survey conducted actually in, in 2018 and 2019. Here's the bottom line. 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christian. But that's down from 77% in 2009. So in a 10-year period of time, uh, the percentage of Americans who describe themselves as Christian has decreased from 77% to 65%. That's a pretty dramatic uh, decrease in the population identifying as Christian. And so maybe not surprisingly, right, there, uh, there is a rise in those who identify openly as atheist, agnostic, or Nothing in particular, often referred to as the nuns. That percentage of the population uh, who describe themselves as atheist, agnostic, or nuns now stands at 26%, up from 17% in 2009. So uh, both Protestants and Roman Catholics are losing members and uh, in terms of the percentage share of the American population. There's obviously an opportunity here not only to reach emerging generations, but to reach whatever generation of which you are a part. If you have non-Christians in your spheres of influence, it's a good opportunity for you to um, share the gospel with them. And I'm not just talking. I want you to share the gospel, uh, the reality that we live in a gospel universe. All right, we will be right back. Check out what he's doing at Plugged Into.
why don't you uh, get out about, uh, the movies that are out this weekend, and I, uh, I may switch to a different technology. Sounds good. Adam, uh, good morning. Good morning. I think I'm getting a little bit of uh, technical difficulty on my end. I could only hear the fanfare music. I couldn't really hear what Carmen was saying. Yeah, it's because uh, we've uh, missed the connection here at the moment. So she thought it'd be great if you just talk about some of the movies that are coming out and we'll get her reconnected. I would love to do that. Well, this weekend, the biggest movies that families may be interested in is Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. And this is the latest Disney movie that's a sequel to 2014's Maleficent. And for those who aren't in the know, it's sort of a reimagining of the Sleeping Beauty villain. So, you know, we know obviously this was a wicked witch who uh, poisoned Sleeping Beauty, whose name, of course, is Aurora. And um, that movie really gives her character a spin and uh it, it what it does is it gives her a redemptive ending and so even though she's still got wings and she's still got devilish looking horns uh she's sort of a, a chaotic good guy uh and as this movie opens maleficent mistress of evil aurora uh has uh, accepted a marriage proposal from young prince philip Uh, who belongs to a human kingdom, and humans and fairies, of which Maleficent is one, have typically not gotten along. Uh, They have a a bad history uh, with one another, and especially humans treating fairies really badly. So Maleficent is very wary of what might happen, uh, but she decides to go along with it. But, of course, there's somebody basically plotting behind the scenes to set up a war between the fairies and the humans, and that's exactly what happens. And Uh, Maleficent uh, has her good side, but she's also pretty easily angered, and uh, she sort of flies off into a rage. And before you know it, we've essentially got a war between fairies and humans. Um, But the core message of the movie really is that we can learn to look past our difficulty, our differences. We can learn to look past our prejudices, uh, and we can choose to love each other and to forgive each other. And so uh, I think it's got a a pretty great message at the core. I was a little bit surprised, uh, or actually more than a little bit surprised, how dark this movie is. Um, Hmm. There's no no gore or anything gruesome, um, but a lot of fairies get essentially vaporized. The humans come up with this dust that basically makes them poof out of existence. Uh, And it felt pretty dark. I don't know that I would want a really young child seeing this movie. And, you know, on top of that, Maleficent is not an occultic kind of figure, but she sure looks like she could be one. And she uses all sorts of magic throughout the film too. So uh, that's the main thing that parents should be aware of here. Hey, Adam, I'm back with you, so thanks for carrying that segment without me. I really appreciate it. No worries. No worries. Good to have you back, Carmen. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so we've also got, um, we've also got Zombieland, which um, Zombie I'm going to immediately, right, I'm gonna immediately uh, suggest is, uh, is not an expressly Christian film. Uh, you know what? That would be, if we had an Academy Award for understatement of the year, uh, that statement you just made would be up for it. Uh, Zombieland is an R-rated zombie comedy horror spoof starring Woody Harrelson and a bunch of other people. <laughs> uh, they're all named after cities. So we have Columbus, we have Wichita, uh, you know, we've got 
all of these characters with with city names and basically this is a post-apocalyptic movie uh with woody harrelson and jesse eisenberg and emma stone uh killing zombies and they live in the white house now which is kind of the the comedic draw of the thing um it's a throwaway film it's an r-rated movie for violence for profanity a little bit of sexuality uh and that's really what people need to know about this one all right, so I um, I would love to just take a pivot here and talk about yeah. what is what is streaming um, on all of these streaming services. And you know, I'm watching I'm watching the statistics related to teen suicide. I'm as horrified yes. as everyone else. Teen suicide is not only on the rise; it is claiming an, an, an increasing and horribly disproportionate um, percentage of young people in this country. And yet, yes. Netflix. Uh, has released the third season of 13 Reasons Why, which is essentially a how-to and glorification of suicide. Yeah. No, that's right. Um, Well, here's what people need to know about 13 Reasons Why. The first season was based on a book by the same name in which a young girl takes her life, but she leaves behind 13 cassette tapes that are each addressed to one of the people who had a negative influence in her life and pushed her towards suicide. So the first season, even though the producers said, hey, we're trying to do something to prevent suicide, what we know ultimately ended up happening was that there was a study that showed there was a rise in suicides after this show came out. So the first season two two years ago specifically focused on suicide. Since then, this has just devolved into uh, a teen drama slash dramedy uh, in which teens do every bad thing you can possibly imagine. And the third season is focused on the murder of a high schooler. Um, and so pretty much anything you want to think about teens doing that is illicit or transgressive is in this show. The third season really doesn't have anything to do with suicide at all. And the second season didn't have as much to do about su- with suicide. So even if we bend over backwards and you know cross our fingers and try to you know say that the producers wanted to deal with this issue seriously in the first season, which is a reach, but there was at least a pretense of wanting to do something serious, we're not in that place anymore. This is just like a CW teen drama uh, only because it's on Netflix, they can get away with a lot more content. So it's just, it's a nasty show. Uh, It's not a very good show. I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes and I mean, it's at 14% with critics and, and only 42% with the audience score. And if you know about Rotten Tomatoes, the fanboys and fangirls turn out in droves there. And oftentimes they'll give something a hugely accepting percentage when, when the critics don't, but I mean, even the fans don't like this show. So um, it, it's just kind of a, an exercise in exploitation at this point. Interesting. All right, Adam Holtz and I are going to be right back. He just used a term, dramedy. I actually read <laughs> uh, read something um, using the word mockumentary. And we also uh-huh. have uh, we have something called a parody. And and we're gonna when we come back from a quick break, I'm gonna ask Adam Holtz about a particular parody uh that was a fake video featuring uh you know the likeness of the president of the united states and it's related to a film and i think that we need to understand what's going on here in this particular uh, political and cultural moment so continuing my conversation with adam holtz from plugged in in just a moment 
returning to my conversation now with Adam Holtz from Plugged In. You can check it all out at PluggedIn.com. Um, Adam, tell people who may not be familiar um, about this. Par- well, first of all, talk about a parody and a parody yeah. video, and then tell us specifically about the parody video featuring the likeness of Donald Trump that really exploded in the news this week. Well, a parody is uh, obviously closely related to satire, and a parody is is a story or a movie. I mean, a parody can happen in any format that basically takes something we think we know about and it and it mocks it. It makes fun of it. It gives us a, a pseudo dramatized representation of it, but it's off kilter enough that we know it's not real, that its purpose is really to make fun of the thing that it's imitating. So over the weekend, uh, there was a conference for Donald Trump supporters, and there was a video shown that superimposes Donald Trump's head and face and smiling vis- visage on uh, to um, a character from a movie from a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago called The Kingsman. And in the movie, in a church, uh, we have a character who shoots, who stabs, who murders all sorts of people um, who are political opponents of Trump. So we get Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, uh, we get Rosie O'Donnell, we get news organizations, that sort of thing. Um, And I think that there are layers of things that we can talk about here. Uh, The first of them is that for people who don't know what this is, uh, they may think that possibly this is real and or something that Trump himself did. And the Trump administration was quick to come out and say, we didn't have anything to do with this. Um, But I think it illustrates a growing issue of what's known as deep fakes. Now, this is this doesn't even try to pretend to be something real, but it, at first glance, it sort of has the look of something that, that could be real. Um, and deep fakes are just using technology to superimpose video images onto something. And you don't necessarily know what's real and what's not real. And the sophisticated ones, it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to tell the difference. So there's that. Um, but obviously they're using this violent movie from a number of years ago. And, and so we get this reinforcement, I think, of, of so many of the trends with regard to violence that our see, we're seeing in our culture. Uh, and the fact that this was done at a, a political rally, I, I think, shows the fact that we're laughing at violence. Um, that's troubling to me. Uh, I, I think that that's not a, a trend line that we want to see reinforced here. So yeah, a, a few a, th- a few threads there. I think uh, again that we could pull, and you've you've already pointed this out. I do think that talking about deep fakes and making sure that people understand that not only is this happening, but we can actually anticipate that in the 2020 cycle, we are going to see. We are almost certainly going to see um, videos that are not. I mean, they do not, they didn't really happen. That person was not really in that place, really doing that thing that it certainly appears on video that person is doing. And so the line between, I mean, I can no longer trust my eyes is a huge part of this conversation. And I think that people need to understand that in terms of how quickly Um, We tend to believe what we see and use our personal social media platforms to pass those things along. So that would be my my caution 
Like, right, a serious caution to listeners today. The other thing that I think for Christians we have to point out in this conversation is the setting of all of this is in a church. Exactly. And and I think that for, um, for Christians, you know, maybe even stepping forward and saying, you know, not only am I am I against the the portrayal of the president doing these things, I and and just this horrible violence done against other people, but I'm I am really really offended by the fact that the setting is a church. Yes, absolutely, and I, I think this is one of those stories that I don't even know. Like, there's a part of me that says. I don't even want to give this 10 seconds of airtime because I don't want to reinforce the idea that, hey, you know, if you produce this kind of video, you're going to get attention. And yet I think that we have to deal with it. And I think the other question it begs, um, you know, The Matrix came out 20 years ago and in it, one of the main characters asked the question, what is real? How do we know what is real? And we're already dealing with that question with the news. I mean, we've got both sides suggesting that the other side is propagating fake news. And we have bias, we have shadings of the truth, we have things told from a slant. It has become very difficult to get a picture of objective reality. And now we have these deep fake videos. Um, and I think the my exhortation to Christians is, we have to be really wise here. We need to be thoughtful, we need to be restrained, we need to do our homework uh, and as you said, we need to not, you know, hit the accelerator button on junk like this and put it on social media and just sort of – it's like throwing blood in the water with the sharks, you know. We're the ones that need to be operating with wisdom and restraint. And and I think with regard to the way we interact with the news, I think it's really healthy to read across the spectrum. Deliberately read stuff you don't agree with, not just the stuff you do agree with uh, because I think that gives you – a bigger context to be able to understand what's going on and to discern for yourself, well, where is the truth here? Where is reality? And how does the truth that we hold on to apply to that? But too often we're just making knee-jerk decisions and and just responding as opposed to thinking deeply. Well, and I think part of that is motivated by the fact that, you know, we want to be first. We want to be the first to, sure. to have commented on something or whatever. And it, it I was reminded this week when ABC News had to retract and walk back a report that it aired um, as video that was from, you know, the conflict in Syria. And in fact, it was from some kind of, dem- you know, like gun dem- demo in Kentucky. Like, right. Oh. It was. And oh, wow. so I'm just saying, like, even even the people who think they know how to fact check and, and think they know how to check who's producing what and how it's being you know proffered they're not even necessarily particularly good at this today. And so I just think that we as consumers of news and because of social media, the purveyors of it, we have to be very, very careful about what we pass along to others. And we have to recognize that there are a lot of people who want to trick us into posting things that are not true. No, that's absolutely right. And and I think, again, social media's downfall is it's not well, one of its downfalls, it's not a place for deep conversation. You know, it's an echo chamber where we tend to group with the people who think like us and we all jump up and down for the same stuff and we all get mad about the same stuff. Man, go have a conversation with your neighbor. Go out to coffee, you know, look for a place to relate to people in a way that's real, where you have real face-to-face relationship as opposed to, you know, 
Aunt Judy put this funny video on, ha ha ha, and I'm gonna I'm gonna forward it because I know it. I'm gonna get a response out of all the people who disagree with it. Exactly. All right, hey Adam, you and I got to leave it right there. Thank you as always. We love visiting with you, um, and happy anniversary. Thank you. I had a good one, and we'll talk to you next week, Carmen. That sounds great. That's Adam Holtz from Plugged In. You can check it all out at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. All right. Gary Thomas is, uh, has been speaking into our lives on the subject of relationships for a really long time. He's got a new book, When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. Um, I think each and every one of us needs what Gary's offering here. We all know people who are toxic. We all know how they prohibit us from uh, really pursuing God's best for us and God's mission in our lives. But we feel guilty and we feel responsible to hang with them. And Gary Thomas is about to give us permission to walk away. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So you may have someone in your life who is what we will describe as toxic. And as a Christian, you may think that you are responsible in relationship with that person, but um, but connected to them in ways that continue actually to sap your energy and drain your joy um, and keep you from pursuing the purpose that God has for you in terms of his mission in the world. And so if you are already thinking to yourself, wow, I know exactly who Carmen is talking about in my life. I know I have a toxic friend, a toxic uh, member of my family, uh, a toxic parent, a toxic child, a toxic spouse. And you may be saying to yourself, um, you know, those are relationships that I am not free in Christ in any way to break. And actually, Gary Thomas, in his new book, When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People, demonstrates that um, Jesus not only allowed people to walk away from him, there are people from whom Jesus walked away. And and so when we think about um, the commitments that we make in this life and the commitments that we have in this life, I think chief among them has to be the commitment to God in Christ to go and do and be whom we have been called and created and redeemed to be. So that conversation up next here with Gary Thomas, when to walk away. Today's parents want a deeper relationship with their teen than they had with their own parents. It's well-intentioned, but taken too far, the outcome will disappoint you. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. My dad, like yours, was focused on providing for his family. We always had food on the table and a roof over our head, but the relational side was more than lacking. Then the 60s and 70s came along. We swooned over lyrics like, All You Need Is Love, and started applying them to our parenting styles. So if you've allowed the pendulum to swing too far, it's not too late to find a healthy balance between authority and relationship. Love your team. But don't cross that slippery boundary and become his friend alone. To hold his heart, you need to remain his parent. Learn how to get your team back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com.
Thomas with us now. Um, you know him well, and he is here with us to talk today about his newest project, When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. Gary, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you for having me. All right. It's really, uh, it's just a joy. I want, I want to start with the definition of toxicity. When we talk about a toxic person, what are we talking about? Well, I'm not just talking about difficult people or different people. Toxic people are the ones that really, you can't interact with them without being a little bit destroyed. They tend to be controlling. Difficult people can disagree with you and let it go. Toxic people can't. They want to control you. You often see just a murder spirit. I know that seems like melodrama, but the way I look at it, they destroy office environments. They can destroy churches and small groups. They destroy your sense of peace and your joy. They're kind of haunting you when you go away. So basically you can't interact with them without just a part of you being emptied out, making you depleted for healthy relationships and whatever work God has called you to do. All right, and that is really actually that very last phrase really essential to this conversation Um, because when you're talking about when to walk away and finding freedom from toxic people, you are talking about the mission of God in the world and his purpose for me as an individual. And so can you make that connection um, before we sort of proceed into when to walk away? Thank you, Carmen, because that is so key. More than this is about psychological defense, it's about maintaining the mission that God has given us. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God. In the Greek, it's continuous dance. Continually keep on seeking first the kingdom of God. What that means, whether we're a student, whether we work in an office, at a bank, whether you're at home with your kids, whether you're on an athletic team or in a school, whatever it is, your first agenda isn't your advancement, your pleasure, your reputation, or your enrichment. It's how is God using me to build his kingdom today? And as soon as Jesus said that, we all have to go on the offense. It's fascinating to me. Just a few verses later, Matthew 7, 6, he says, but you know what? Don't give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before swine or else they will turn and tear you to pieces. So Jesus says to the disciples, I'm watching you out on offense. You have a new mission. You have a new purpose. The most important message, the Spirit will empower you, but you need to play a little defense because there are some toxic people out there. Not only will they not receive it, not only will they not appreciate it, they're going to turn and tear you to pieces and stop you from sharing this important message with so many other people. All right, and Gary, and I'm going to just like go right in here and ask the question that um, that I feel like a lot of people are going to ask, and that is, yes. um, but but aren't I responsible as a Christian to love the unlovable? Um, I'm in this relationship, um, and you know, and I feel like the controlling toxic person is going to absolutely use my Christian faith against me in this moment and say. You can't reject me. You can't walk away. You, you know, you're, you're, you're a Christian. Right. Yeah. So help, help, help me, help me deal with that. Yeah. Well, that misplaced guilt kept me, kept me bound and less effective for decades. What happened, I was running up a situation with a guy and I just, because he was a Christian too, he claims to be a Christian. I, I didn't know how to interact. I was just like, I don't know what's working. And a much wiser friend of mine, he's been a marriage and family therapist for 35 years, she said, Gary, I, I recommend you not engage him. So what, what do you mean? Because that would always be a failure on my part. 
in the past. He said, I want you to go to the book of Luke. Count how many times Jesus walked away from someone or let someone walk away with him without him chasing after him. Well, Carmen, I'm a little bit obsessive. I'm not clinically OCD, but I live in the neighborhood right next door to me. And so when a counselor suggests that, I went to all four Gospels, counted 41 citations where Jesus had an interaction with someone where he just chose to walk away or he let them walk away. Now, some of those are the same because it's not the Gospels, but I couldn't believe that that was ever a failure on Jesus' part. So I had to realize it's not a failure on my part. Jesus was a strategic person. He kept his mission in mind. He was looking for reliable people to invest in who would take this mission and share it with others. And I just had to change that all of the time looking back that I've spent on toxic people, not one of them has been helped, and I've missed the opportunity to reach many others. And I realized Jesus is just far more strategic than I ever realized, and I needed to get on his page and learn that sometimes to walk in the footsteps of Jesus is to walk away with him. All right. So my listeners know that I'm kind of obsessed with the appendices of books. And so yeah. let me just go ahead and tell them that the appendix to When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People by Gary Thomas, is actually uh, Gary's sharing with us those verses of Scripture where Jesus either walks away or allows others to walk away and does not chase after them. So that is the appendix to this book. Gary, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, um, I'm going to invite you to, to walk through a little bit of what's in the book, particularly, you know, kind of this process of setting healthy boundaries, finding refuge in God, discerning when to walk away, keeping a tender heart, on and on. So that's up next Thank here you. with Gary Thomas on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Gary Thomas, uh, writer in resident at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, also an adjunct faculty member uh, teaching spiritual formation at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. He's the author of lots of books. Today we're talking about his newest one, When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. Gary, walk us through um, a little bit of what the, the process that you offer here, because this is really a practical, practical book. Thank you, Tanya. Well, I describe what toxic people are. I give the example of Jesus walking away to get past that misplaced guilt. But then really the heart of it, Carmen, I think is finding those reliable people to invest in. It's interesting. Jesus said to make disciples of all nations. Those are sort of his last words to his disciples. And Paul follows that up in 2 Timothy 2.2 when he says, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable, some translations use faithful people, who will also be qualified to teach others. So both Jesus and Paul agree the Christian mission is investing in wise people who will take what we give them and share it with others. Now, they're not wise when we first start, but people who are open and humble, who can be trained and go out. And that's the sort of the image that allows us to walk away from toxic people, not to walk toward a Netflix binge, but to walk toward making the most of our time. Jesus was mission-minded, Paul was mission-minded, and we need to be mission-minded. So that's why we walk away. It's sort of our spiritual defense that allows us to play 
the most effective offense. And so it impacts then we go into what that means at work, what it means at home with adult children or in marriage, with in-laws, even with ourselves. Right. And that last one I think is really critical um, because one of the things that maybe surprised me most about this book is, I mean, it was pretty piercing to me. Um, The toxic person might be me. Yeah. (laughs) Carmen, that was the most astonishing chapter for me. It might sound funny for a writer to say that, but just as I'm reading and praying about it, I'm realizing I might be the most toxic person in my life and where I was challenged. I believe God was convicting me one time, saying, don't say anything to yourself that you wouldn't say to anyone else. And that was evolutionary. I regularly would talk to myself with language I would never use toward one of my children or my wife or my coworkers. I would never say, oh, you're such an idiot or why are you so weak or can't you get past this again or whatnot. And I would discourage myself and I would not present words of hope or grace. And when I realized that God loves me, that he doesn't want me to be treated in a toxic manner, and that it hurts him when I'm treated in a toxic matter, manner, I'm actually hurting God when I treat myself in a toxic manner. And, and so that was a whole new way of looking at my relationship with God and then refocusing and rearranging my relationship with myself. You know, one of the things we talk about frequently here um, on this program is our identity, not only in Christ, but our identity as ambassadors of the kingdom, people who are representing yes. Christ to the world, agents of grace. Yes. And and what I hear you saying is that's some of the self-talk as Christians that we need to be engaged in so that we can have a right view of ourselves as these gospel-advancing, kingdom-advancing people, um, because that helps us keep a perspective when others are saying things that are contrary to that Um, or when we ourselves have some self-talk that's contrary to that. I mean, the truth is God is who he is. He has done what he has done, and he is calling us to do what he is calling us to do. And if we're going to be reliable witnesses to that, then there are some things that we have to walk away from, and there are some people from whom we have to walk away. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, I realized in one of the sections I loved writing the most was a sentence from the book of Jude, of all books. You don't hear a lot of stuff coming out of Jude. But Jude says our name is called, loved, and kept. It's from the very first verse. And, And so what gets me going is realizing that I'm called of God because I have the message that Jesus entrusts us with. We have the Spirit to empower us. If I've committed my worst sin of my life this morning, I'm still called. God can use that testimony. If I repent, he'll use it, and I'm still loved. My acceptance before God isn't based on what I've done. It's based on what Jesus has done. And then I'm kept safe in Jesus Christ so I can walk away from people. I can not worry about people slandering me or what they think about me, because ultimately what matters is what Jesus thinks about me. And and so for me, making Jesus the hero of my life is what keeps me from toxic people and toxic talk to myself. When I make myself the hero and toxic people mistreat me, I'm going to hate them. And the Bible says I shouldn't hate anyone. But when I make myself the hero and I don't live up to my own expectations or I blow it or I sin, then I hate myself because I should be better than that. When Jesus is my hero, I'm focused on him. I can follow in his footsteps as I walk away from those who are persecuting me. 
And then I don't put all of my hope in myself to live up to my highest ideals. I'm thinking, you know, that's what Jesus has done. I can rest in his work. And so really making Jesus my hero and reminding myself of that, it gives me strength to walk away from toxic people. It protects me from being guilty toward myself and then keeps me focused on the mission every day. How do I seek first his kingdom? How do I get people to listen to him, to put his kingdom first, to value what he values and not worry about my own reputation or how I'm being treated by others? All right, I so I just so appreciate this. I have um, I have two I have two more questions. One of them is quick. So in your bio, it says that you have spoken in forty nine states. <laughs> well, that stands out to me that there is an outlier. What's the yes. outlier? It's South Dakota. Okay, and so <laughs> South Dakota is in our listening area. So this is a shout out to the people in South Dakota. Gary Thomas needs an invitation to come and speak in South Dakota. Because it, 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 his bio is missing your state. Like, I feel like that's just, if we could do one act of service to the kingdom today, that's it. Um, and then finally, Here's Gary. The thing, oh, I know, Carmen. The, my wife kind of doesn't want me to speak there because she says it sounds more authentic when I say 49 than if I say 50. Oh. <laughs> I'd be thrilled to knock that off the list. So, yeah, so if you go to churches, let me know. All right, there you go. Um, and then the, the book's been out for, I don't know, about 10 days. What are you surprised no one has asked you yet? Oh, you know, I've, I've heard it from both sides. I, there's a lot of people I respect that just have said, Gary, this, this was a gift to the church. We have been wrapped in misplaced guilt. Uh, it, it may be one of the weakest things. For, I think for those of us like me that kind of focus on being polite and wanting to be nice and, and letting people take advantage of that. There has been some pushback, but frankly, it hasn't been from people who have read the book. It's people that have heard a summary, and they say, what yeah. about turn the other cheek? What about we're supposed to give our lives to others? So I, I was prepared for a little bit more. I mean, I've had some strong words of challenge, but I, I was actually anticipating more. Um, and so far, now takes time. Like you said, it's only been out 10 days, but – pleasantly surprised at the positive reception, particularly with the voices of people who I, I really respect and have admired. Amen. All right. Well, Gary Thomas, thank you so much for being with us here today. And thank you for the book. It is When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. Gary, thanks so much. Thank you, Carmen. My walk off today on this on this Friday uh, edition of Mornings with Carmen is uh, a bit of a shout out to all of our American dairy farmers. So I don't care if you uh, if you milk goats or you milk cows. I feel like kind of today's your day because international cheese tariffs just went into effect, and so Americans are going to be turning more and more to American-made cheese. And so cheese heads today, this is a shout out to you. Dairy farmers today, this is a shout out to you. Wherever you're listening, whatever you're doing, um, I want you to have a great day and God bless. Make it a great weekend. Glorify God and edify others. Have a blessed weekend. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.